chapter 18 is our sermon text for this morning. In order to get a sense of the context, we'll be considering mainly verse 15, but in order to get a sense of the context here, um, these words of the Lord to his people, let us read from verse 9 through the end of the chapter, 9 through 22, right there on page 302 if you're using the Pew Bible. This is God's word given to his people. It is for our good. Let us give our attention to its reading. Deuteronomy 18, verse 9. Let us pray before we read God's word. Heavenly Father, what we know not, teach us. And what we have not, give us. And what we are not, make us for your Son's sake. Amen. Deuteronomy 18, verse 9. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices his son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft or casts spells, or who is a medium or spiritist or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. And because of these detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. You must be blameless before the Lord your God. The nations you will dispossess, listen to those who practice sorcery or divination. But as for you, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do so. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. For this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let us not hear the voice of the Lord your God, nor see this great fire anymore, or we will die. The Lord said to me, What they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. If anyone does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name, I myself will call him to account. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded him to say, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods must be put to death. You may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. The prophet, that prophet has spoken presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God endures forever. Amen. So leading up to the the Christmas holiday, we're going to take a few weeks and we're going to consider together, as you you may notice from some of the structure of of our service today, going to consider together how Jesus is our great and final prophet, priest, and king. One of the great things about Christmas is that we're reminded again and again and again that that all of scripture, 
is, is about Jesus. It's leading us to him or it's looking back to him in the case of the New Testament. It's all about him. It leads to him, it glorifies him, it magnifies him, and it certainly finds its fulfillment in him. We think today about the office of prophet, how Jesus is our great and final prophet. It's here in this passage, a prophet like unto Moses. And our, our call to us to consider today is to listen to him, to look to him, and to live in him. That is Jesus, our great and final prophet. In today's world, encountering the divine is big business. Encountering the divine is big business. You need only look at someone like Deepak Chopra, who in perhaps decades past would have been just sort of your normal everyday charlatan and kind of peddling things that are nonsensical, non-coherent, not connected uh, to each other in terms of his thoughts or his system. He has this message of self-fulfillment. You have the power within yourself, within your mind, and within your spirit uh, to accomplish anything. That power lies within you. It's all about what is within you. He's on TV. Uh, people flock from all over the world to see him, to hear him, and to buy what he is selling, quite literally, to buy his books, uh, to go and hear what he has to say. Because people get the sense that when they listen to him, or when they, they take stock in what he is saying, they have this encounter with the transcendent, with the divine. Big business, not only in today's world, it's also big business in yesterday's world. You can go to a place like the Temple of Kali in India and see what people have been doing for centuries of going on long and arduous journeys and coming to this temple where this long, elaborate process of of not only journeying physically, but also then spending money hand over fist in order to just get a few moments in front of a god or a goddess and the lengths to which people will go in order to encounter the divine, in order to get a sense of the transcendent. It's interesting, there is this God of the Gaps theory, where it probably certainly was more famous probably 50, 75, even 100 years ago, where there was this strong sense that, that science and empirical data and discovery was going to uh, eventually do away with the need for God. That human beings sort of construct the idea of God because there are gaps in their knowledge. They can't explain this or that. And so they think that God is the explanation for that. But as they figure out how to explain something which they previously misunderstood, their need for God shrinks a little bit. And so isn't it interesting that in today's world you see this, this skyrocketing of interest in New Age spirituality and it seems that the more people learn, the more, we, uh, the more we discover and learn about this world, it does nothing uh, to do away with the, the spark that people have in them, that desire uh, to encounter the divine. We see this in verses 9 through 14 leading up to Deuteronomy 18, 15, don't we? We see that the people that dwelt in the land of Canaan before the Israelites went in to possess that land, they had all kinds of things that they would try, seemingly willing to try almost anything to have that sense of encountering God or, or knowing God or a God. God told his people, you are not to be like them in any of these practices. You are to be separate from them. 
And the foundation for why God's people calls them to that, not, of course, there's, it's true that to do so would be idolatry and itself would be sinful, but God says, I am speaking to you. I am giving you my truth. And when I give you my truth, you are to listen, you are to believe, you are to submit, and you are to obey. That's what it means to be the people of God. And when God speaks his word and speaks his truth to his people, he has given us enough to go through this life in faith to him, submitting to his lordship and trusting in him. Isaiah chapter 7 says, if you are not firm in faith, then you will not be firm at all. God calls us to all of these things and to remember that human beings will try to create their own way uh, to encounter the divine. God has provided for us a better way, the way of truth. And that way of truth culminates in Jesus Christ, who is our great and final prophet. So here's our life-transforming reality today. We must see Jesus as our great and final prophet. And because of that, we must listen to him. We must look to him. And we must live in him. What is a prophet? Well, a prophet is... uh, Basically, fundamentally, it is a, a, he is a messenger. A prophet is a messenger. We're going to see that a prophet is more than a messenger, but that he is certainly not less than that. In the case of Deuteronomy, we're, of course, reading the words that Moses is giving to the people of God. Moses became, for the people of God, the mouth of God. He did more than just convey information. He did more than just teach, but he did not do less than that. The word prophet, at its root, means spokesman, or it means messenger. In other words, a prophet cannot invent his or her own message. That's not what a prophet does. A prophet uh, delivers that which has already been declared. A prophet delivers that which has already been declared. And that's the calling, the prophet. It's interesting, isn't it, that in Deuteronomy 18, we read that God will raise up a prophet like Moses, like Moses, that Moses is the mold into which this this prophecy is cast. We think of prophets in the Bible like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, these prophets who wrote these great long books, many, many prophecies uh, that the Lord had given to them. But Moses is the mold, and what we're going to see as we see how Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of this promise in Deuteronomy 18, it's because Moses is this fascinating prophet who is not only a messenger, but he also is a mediator, and he also is a Messiah type of figure, and that is the kind of prophet Jesus is. He brings truth, but he also mediates the covenant of grace. He mediates mediates the covenant between God and the people. And he also, of course, is the Messiah. So as we think about Jesus being our great and final prophet, you go to some place like Hebrews chapter 1. It said, long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us in his Son. What we learn from this passage and from others is that Jesus Christ is the definitive word that God has given to his people. Jesus Christ is the definitive word given to us by God. You think about that and you say, well, then why after Jesus comes and he lives and and he dies and he is raised, why then is there the entire New Testament 
And I think that actually makes a stronger case for that Jesus is the definitive word because it, it follows the, the structure of the Bible. What, what the Lord normally does is he gives a word of prophecy saying something is going to happen. And then, of course, he fulfills that prophecy. And then after that prophecy is fulfilled, he gives the word of interpretation. Right, good Dutch theologian uh, Gerhardus Voss pointed this out. You go through the Bible and it is word, act, and word. God gives the preliminary word, the act, the, the event itself, and the interpretive word. The entire New Testament is the interpretation of the work of Christ. It's applying what has just happened, teaching what has just happened, not only to God's people in Israel, but also to the world. The message of Jesus Christ going out. Uh, to the world as we see in the book of Acts and in the epistles and all of the letters. Ultimately, it's all about Christ. Finds its fulfillment in him. Second Corinthians chapter 1 says this, all of the promises of God find their yes and amen in Jesus. In Luke chapter 24, I will get to this passage Eventually, as we make our way uh, through Luke, Luke chapter 24, on the road to Emmaus, the two followers of Jesus, they're upset, uh, they, they've seen the crucifixion, they're kind of going home, what do we make of our life now, what are we supposed to do? Jesus appears to them, they don't initially recognize him, but then in verse 27 of Luke 24, it says this, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Wouldn't you like to have been there? For that biblical theology lesson, Jesus opens up the scriptures to them. Later on in the same chapter, Jesus is having breakfast on the shore with his apostles, with the twelve. And we read these words. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds that they would understand the scriptures. When Jesus says that, he doesn't mean that there are some isolated points in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms that are about him. He means that it's all leading to him. Now we need to dig in and, and go to each and every passage of scripture and find the way that it leads us to Christ. Not everything leads us to Christ in the same way or with the same clarity, but it's all, everything in the law and the prophets and the Psalms is leading us to Christ. The fact that Jesus is our great and our final prophet, that definitive word from God, is, is made nowhere more clear than in the transfiguration in the life of Christ. You can remember, the transfiguration is all the way back in Luke chapter 9, in our study that we've done in the Gospel of Luke. It's all the way back in chapter 9, probably were there about a year ago or something like that. That's where the transfiguration is. And in the transfiguration, of course, Peter and John and James go up with Jesus onto a mountain. And Jesus' appearance changes, and he is standing there in, in dazzling light next to Moses and Elijah. And we read, Moses and Elijah appeared with him in, and uh, spoke of his exodus. That's the word there you'll find in your English Bibles. Probably will say something like departure. They spoke of his departure, but really the word there is exodus, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Pat, uh, Peter gets really excited, says, Lord, it's good that we're here, let's build a tent. Then all of a sudden the glory cloud of God's awesome presence sort of appears on the mountain and they're filled with fear as they should be. And they hear this voice from within the cloud come out, it says this, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him, listen to him. You see how the, the threads are connected there to Deuteronomy 18. 
where the Lord commands his people, you must listen to this prophet whom I will send, a prophet like Moses. Transfiguration, the Lord says, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Listen to him and listen to his truth. Listening is such a central part of our faith. You know, sometimes you hear people say, preach the gospel when necessary, use words. Right? That's if the, usually people are using that in an incorrect way. There's no gospel without words. The gospel is an announcement. The gospel is a message of things that have happened in history so that sinners might be reconciled to God. And that message must be proclaimed. And Jesus came as the great and final prophet saying the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. He revealed the will of God and In revealing the will of God, this is what he said. This is the will of God, that you believe in the one whom he has sent. He said, this is the message that I received to bring to you, that you would believe in me. He did not carry his own message, as we read in, or as we we think of Deuteronomy 18, right? He is declaring something that's already, or he's delivering something that's already been declared, John chapter 12, Jesus said this, I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, the Father has told me. Going on in Deuteronomy 18, verse 22, what does it say? How do you know if a prophet is a true prophet or not? Verse 22, if what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. Makes sense, right? If God is sovereign, if God has decreed all things that will be, even from before the foundations of the earth were laid, from all eternity, he knew what would happen. Of course, the Lord is not going to send, truly send a prophet who is going to say something that does not come to pass. Jesus spoke Nothing but the truth. But it was a truth that could not be accepted by many of the people. The Lord said, for instance, all the way back in Luke chapter 9, the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and on the third day he must be raised. Jesus is tried in front of the high priests, in front of the leaders of Israel. He is tried as a false prophet. Those are the charges they're bringing against him for blaspheming, for being a false prophet. So so isn't it a sad irony then that this passage in Deuteronomy 18 will be one of the reasons why the leaders of Israel eventually try Jesus as a false prophet. They reject their Messiah. They reject their Lord. Jesus will say to them, to Caiaphas and to the high priests, From now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of God. Another prophecy that will come true, of course. But uh, they are driven uh, into chaos because they believe that Jesus has spoken blasphemy. Remember Jesus speaking to Pilate. And Pilate's trying to figure out what's going on with this Jesus. Why are people so angered by him? Trying to get him to come out and say clearly who it is that he really is. Jesus says, those who are of the truth, listen to me. Those who are of the truth, listen to me. To be a Christian, to be the people of God, to be a follower of Jesus Christ, is to be of the truth. It is to love the truth. 
It is to know that in the gospel, that in the Christ, the great and final prophet, we have the truth. We have the truth. It's one of the reasons why the the project of global missions is a good thing, is a wonderful thing. There was a a sad story, perhaps you, you heard about it, young man, young American, who had a heart to reach uh, a people, tribal people group on an island in the Indian Ocean. And certainly there were some hasty things that he had done and he probably could have had a different strategy and taken more time to organize. But long story short, trying to make contact with this tribal people who have very violent tendencies, he was killed. He was killed as soon as he made contact uh, with these people. And the reaction throughout the world is, oh, well, this, this young man was breaking the law. Uh, he needs to leave these people alone. These people have their own way of life and you need to just let them be. Been dialoguing with some people that I know about this over the past couple of weeks. Is missions a good thing? Is missions moral? Yes, it is. It's never wrong. It's never bad. It's never sinful to want to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth, even if the laws of man might stand in your way. To be a Christian is to be of the truth and to believe that the truth has enormous implications for how we live. To be a Christian is to be of the truth. It's why, that's why the gospel is true, objectively true, that as the people of God, we don't necessarily need a strategy We don't necessarily need some newfangled idea. What we need is to be faithful to the truth. Because it is the truth that changes lives. It is the truth that transforms hearts. And this is what Jesus came to declare and to be. God says, listen to him. Do you listen to Jesus? I'm not talking about hearing a still small voice in your head. I'm talking about, do you listen to the message that Jesus came and declared to his people? Listen to him. But Moses was more than just a messenger. He was also a mediator. He was also a mediator. So we listen to Jesus as the messenger, but we also look to Jesus as the mediator. We think of mediator normally as the office of priest. We see that Moses is this prophet who is more than just a messenger. He was a mediator between God and the people. You can see, if you have it open, you can look at verse 16 of Deuteronomy 18. This is what the Lord, this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire anymore, or we will die. The people of Israel said, We 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 can't be in the presence of even the word of God. They didn't want to hear it. They, they, they said, Moses, you go, you receive the word, and then you deliver it to us. Jeremiah twenty three, verse twenty nine says this Is not my word like fire? Like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. When God speaks, things happen. He created the universe by the word of his power. He overcomes the hearts of sinful men and women by the word of his power. They wanted Moses, as the prophet, to be a mediator. To represent God to the people and to represent the people to God. You see this nowhere more clearly than in Exodus 32 through 34. Israel builds a golden calf. They're worshiping a false god, engaging in idolatry. And Moses brings judgment and curses and warnings and admonitions from God. But he also represents the interests of the people. 
Moses will say to God, relent of your anger. Do not destroy us completely. He shows there how he is a mediator between God and God's people. As we turn to Jesus, we see that this was one of the things Jesus does as our great and final prophet. He's a mediator, and specifically he, he mediates the covenant between God and his people. In this way, he, he, he brings the curses that many of the prophets brought throughout the history of Israel. Jesus brought a message that was one of judgment. Jesus says in Luke 13, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He said, the Son of Man is coming on clouds with power and with great glory. It will be an earth-shaking moment when he comes in judgment. But also like the prophets, like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and others, yes, God speaks his judgment, his covenant curses upon his people, but there also is promise, there's forgiveness, there's mercy, and there's grace. And Jesus himself becomes the embodiment of God's justice and God's mercy. Justice and mercy met and finally culminated and reconciled at the cross. We see God's justice and his mercy at the cross. We read in Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 16, God says, even though he will judge, he says, I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth. Ezekiel is harking all the way back to the promises that God made to Abraham, unconditional promises, that through him, that through the nation that he would build in Abraham, that all the families, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. That's an unconditional promise that God was going to see fulfilled. Jesus is fulfilling those promises, representing both God's justice and God's mercy. And as we see that his, his mercy is, is where we camp out. We take great joy in the fact that his mercy is greater than our sin. Psalm chapter 30, we read it in the call to worship this morning. God's anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. It doesn't mean that God is more merciful than he is just. It means to those who have known God's mercy, it is a great joy to see that forgiveness and that grace overshadow and overcome our own sinfulness. Exodus chapter 20, for instance, right? God visits the iniquity of the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but he shows love, steadfast love, covenant faithfulness to a thousand generations of those who love him and those who keep his commandments. Jesus Christ is is the, the manifestation, the personification of all of these things, the justice and the mercy of God mediating the covenant. Not just as priest, which he does, and we'll consider that next week, but as prophet. He's a prophet likened to Moses, and that's what Moses did. He's the prophet of God's people. Finally, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is our prophet. He is the messenger. Listen to him. He is the mediator. Look to him. He is the one who represents us before God. He is the one who goes between, speaks of judgment and blessing. Finally, he is the Messiah. So we must live in him. Moses was a Messiah type figure, a prototype of what the Messiah was to of what the Messiah was to be and do. He brings Israel out of Egypt, out of bondage. He sets them free. He's the one who leads them out. Moses engaged in sea crossings and wilderness feedings, both things that Jesus did. 
See all these shades of the work of Moses fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus is not only a new Moses, he is a new and a better Moses. Hebrews chapter 3, Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than, than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Remember in the, in the passage, the transfiguration, Moses and Elijah appear with Jesus and they speak of Jesus what? His exodus. Jesus Exodus, the exodus that he wants to achieve. What is that exodus? From what does Jesus set us free? How does Jesus lead his people out of bondage? You will call his name Jesus, for he will set his people free. He will save his people from their sins. Salvation from sin, that is the greater exodus that Jesus brought about. So he's a prophet like Moses, but he is a prophet who is greater than Moses. He is a prophet who comes as a messenger speaking the whole truth and speaking nothing but the truth. But not just that, he not only speaks the truth, he is the truth. He not only speaks the word of God, he is the word of God. Jeremiah 23, one of the questions of whether or not a prophet is a true prophet is, has he stood in the counsel of the Lord? Well, it just so happens that Jesus had been the counsel of God for all eternity. He was a part of the council of God. He comes literally from the Father, from heaven, leaving riches without number as we sang today. He not only is the word of, uh, or brings the word of God, he is the word of God. Jesus is a mediator, a perfect mediator, uh, because he not only is a faithful, he not only is a true witness, he is a true and a faithful witness as Revelation 1 Verse 5 says, he represents God to the people. He represents the people to God. He executes that covenant between God and his people. Finally, he is the Messiah. He's the, he's the Messiah. He saves his people from their sins. He came to seek and he came to save. He did not come just to give us moral instruction. He did not come just to give us a social program. He came to seek and to save the lost. In his active and in his passive obedience, he becomes for us that righteousness that sinful people need in order to be reconciled to God. This promise is fulfilled very clearly, ultimately, in Jesus Christ. God said to the people of old, I will raise up a prophet like Moses. He will be a great and a final prophet. Prophet like Moses in that he does not just reveal the word and the will of God, which he does. He does so perfectly and truthfully. He also acts as a mediator. He also acts as the Messiah, for he is that, and he is the righteousness that we need before our God. So listen to him. Hear the words of truth. Listen to him. Look to him. Look to him as the only one who can represent God's people, be the mediator and the giver of righteousness. Live in him, for it's only in him that we have life. For he is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. Our great and final prophet, Jesus Christ. Look to him and live in him today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news, the announcement of Jesus Christ. We thank you that through what he has done, we might live. And that as this message has been proclaimed throughout the world, 
that you have brought sinners to life. Impress upon all of us our need for that Savior, for that perfect, final, and great prophet, the one who revealed your will, the one who mediated, the one who became for us and is for us the Messiah. He is begotten, eternally begotten, not made, and he came to earth because of your love. Thank you for giving him. May we look to him always, trust in him, and live in him. It's his name we pray. Amen.